Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. A mid-morning dance with the devil from the farmer of fury. Dangerous mid-morning debate with the great dictator. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. It's a beautiful sunny day in Maine. You might even be forgiven for thinking that everything in the garden is rosy. But of course the truth is far from that. And if you're Jeremy Kyle, the truth certainly is very far from that. Jeremy Kyle uh, has just been announced, has had his show cancelled completely by ITV. It will not be made anymore. Uh, It has been the victim of all of the circumstances that have surrounded the story about Jeremy Kyle throughout the course of the last few days. We'll come to that a bit later on. Later on today, we'll be also bringing you Prime Minister's questions, but there's only really one question everyone wants to know the answer to, and it's certainly not when will you be bringing your withdrawal agreement from the European Union back to Parliament for yet another vote. Theresa May has announced that she will be looking to hold MV4 sometime before the summer recess. I, for one, can't wait. More importantly, we should be more worried about the impending disappearance of all the bananas in the world, and this time it's got nothing to do with climate change. 0344 499 1000. Also, first up, we're going to be debating the meaning of a word. It's a word that we hear all the time, but it's a word that no one really seems to know the definition of that word is Islamophobia and its definition varies depending on who you ask. Now there is a plan afoot to come up with an official definition which will be this and I quote Islamophobia is rooted in racism and is a type of racism that targets expressions of Muslimness or perceived Muslimness. It's been agreed by Labour, the Lib Dems and Sadiq Khan but even anti-terrorist police say it is a recipe for disaster and will lead to effectively a blasphemy law brought in by the back door. Surely this is madness isn't it? 03444 I mean, why don't they just redefine every single word in the English language and be done with it? You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Coming up uh, later on today, as I say, we'll be addressing the whole issue surrounding the Jeremy Kyle show because this has been front-page news now for the best part of the last two to three days. Jeremy Kyle has had his show cancelled, and what that tells you about the world in which we now live uh, should be something that might concern you. It's all very well to blame a television show for some terrible things that have happened. And there's no doubt that the show was certainly in poor taste. There's no doubt that the show was definitely something perhaps that had uh, had its time. And certainly it was a show uh, which was tabloid TV at its very, very best. Now, whether you like it or not, it was very popular. Now, as people have said many times, popularity does not necessarily mean uh, that something is actually good and necessarily good for society. However, I want to debate the whole issue with you and I want you to join in that debate. 0344. 
499-1000 is the number. First, though, let's talk about Islamophobia because we're going to talk now to Ajmal Masroor, uh, who's an imam and a broadcaster, because we're going to find out precisely why there is a plan afoot to bring a blasphemy law basically into this country by the back door. Uh, Ajmal, a very good morning to you. Welcome to the show. Good morning. Thank you very much indeed uh, for coming on. It's a very interesting subject, this, because the Times front page this morning says terror police warn uh, against new rules on Muslim hate. Um, Theresa May is going to be urged to reject the definition of Islamophobia, which is the one which I just described. What do you think, first of all, of the definition? And second of all, what do you think of the need or otherwise to actually properly and officially define the word? You know, when we were defining anti-Semitism, we allowed the Jewish communities to come up with a definition that suits their particular concern and that creates a consensus amongst the Jewish community and we accepted it. Yeah. When Muslim community is doing the same thing, after consulting for a long time, majority of the Muslims, of course not everybody, but majority have come on around and accepting this definition as a working definition. Why are you or anybody else, for that matter, finding it difficult to accept what Muslim community thinks is correct for them? Well, because what I'm anxious to avoid, uh, Ajmal, is a situation where people are frightened to talk about certain things because I know where that leads. If people are frightened to talk about things, then it is likely to lead to, to, for me, a bad place. I don't wish to be worried that I might be somehow creating a criminal act if I am critical of what is described as Muslimness or perceived Muslimness. I don't even know what that means. Would you do the same for the Jewish community? Well, I would do the same for any community, yes, absolutely. I think anti-Semitism has got an international definition. The Labour Party, as you well know, took a very long time to adopt and accept their definition of anti-Semitism, and they struggled with that for quite a long time. But I think most people would have agreed that criticism of the Jewish faith and criticism, certainly, of Israel uh, is very much something that you can do without, uh, without being accused of a hate crime. With this new definition, it's a much more woolly uh, definition, it seems to me. I think the distinct difference is Israel is a political state, and therefore, of course, it is open to criticism, whereas Jewishness is an identity of a race as well as a faith. And when you criticize the faith, you may be okay, but you may fall foul of criticizing the race because they are now, or has been, a very synonymous with Islamic definition, or definition of Islamophobia, rather. I think the problem we have, um, Graham, is that Islamophobia it's Mike, kills. actually. Sorry, Mike, so sorry. It's, I, I thought your title was called The Kingdom of Graham, so maybe that's... No, it's the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Oh, I'm so sorry. We Mike, don't believe in monarchies here. Uh, oh, I, I'm with you. Don't worry. Um, <laughs> so, uh, Mike, uh, the problem with Islamophobia is that Islamophobic attack and Islamophobic crime up and down, not only in our country, but across Europe, America, Australia, even in many Muslim countries, have killed many people so far. And unless we start with a definition, we'll not go anywhere. So current definition is the best one. If you've got a better one, and if the communities across the board have a better definition, I'm very open to con having a conversation and examining what would work for everybody. I'm with you about the idea of free speech. I would say to you and everybody, I'm an imam. I say, criticize my religion as much as you like. It's no problem. But when you're criticizing my religion, don't attack me as an individual or people as an individual or a collective group of people, there are 1.8 billion of us in the world, and attacking the religion and then attacking the people, you need to be very careful so that the people don't become dehumanized and therefore become target of vicious attack 
and terrible activities across the globe. No, I understand all of that, and I would not disagree with, with your aims and, and, and your beliefs there, because obviously nobody wants to see people fighting each other, nobody wants to see people hating each other because of a religion or because of any reason in particular. However, one of the reasons I think that people have problematic uh, associations with with uh, the, the religion of Islam uh, is because people perceive, rightly or wrongly, that Islam is a very different religion from every other religion in the world, and that somehow, you know, Islamophobia, for example, as a word, is a word which exists only as a religious phobia. There is no phobia uh, for, for being against Jewishness. You know, it's called anti-Semitism. It's not the same. It's somehow the wording is different. And I think, I don't know what your definition currently of Islamophobia is, that needs to that needs to have it changed into this new one. So, for example, when you talk about anti-Semitism, people who are Semite are generally known as the Jewish people. But actually, race. Semites can be Arabs as well, can't they? I was, I was about to say the Arabs are also Semites. However, anti-Semitism doesn't include those who are Arabs, but only includes those who are Jewish. Well, how does and that work? I don't know. You need to ask the Jewish community. I'm not a Jewish... Uh, Expert and I was well. No, it's a language thing, isn't it? It's a, it's not. A, it's, it's not as if the, the Jewish community has decided to own the word anti-Semitism. But if you say to somebody you're an anti-Semite, it's generally accepted that they are anti-Jewish. Correct. And I'm just saying, Semite, Semite people are not only the Jewish people, but they are also Arab people. So when you talk about a race such as the Semite people, it's very clear and easy definable. Whereas Muslims or Islam as a religion is a universal religion coming from Timbuktu to Alta Mongolia, from New Zealand to yeah. uh, and, uh, and Los Angeles. So people don't have a race within religion of Islam. So to include how to uh, tackle the hate crime perpetrated against people's Islam or Muslimness is a difficult one. I'll give you an example. Is a Sikh gentleman was attacked on at an airport or on a high street because he was wearing a turban and he had a beard and the person assumed or perceived this person to be a Muslim by the attire. And that in itself is the difficulty we have. So it is a difficult one, I understand. I hear, I hear the concern, but the initial point that you raised needs more clarification. Islam is not a different religion, even if people, people perceive it. It is absolutely a religion of Abraham, the Abrahamic religion. And if you compare Islam, Judaism and Christianity, believe you me, our differences in those three religions probably would be no more than 10%. I wrote a book about uh, Mark of Faith, which included 19 faiths of London. When I was comparing uh, Judaism, Islam, and Christianity, I was astonished to see that Muslims and Jewish communities' faith and traditions are almost identical. Uh, yeah, but that's not really the issue, Ajmal. I mean, the issue for me, right, is that if I wish to go on the radio and say, look, I don't believe in God, I don't think there is a God, because if there was a God, how on earth could all these terrible things happen around the world? I do not believe in Muhammad. I do not believe in Jesus Christ. I do not believe in, um, you know, any number of other prophets that, that may or may not exist. I think the imaginary man in the sky is a nonsense. Now, technically speaking, if I do that after this definition is brought in, I may be breaking some kind of law by saying I don't believe in Muhammad? No, you won't be at all. The Lord does not say that. You can reject Muhammad every day if you want. Some Muslims do too. They claim to be Muslims, but they don't want to follow the Prophet or the or the Islamic teaching. We are not here to police people's thoughts and police people's beliefs. That's their choice. And if you don't want to believe, if you don't believe that people went to the moon, uh, if you don't want to believe any of that, it's your choice, uh, 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 Mike. We are living in a free world. I think in this free world... Well, it's world, becoming less and less free, free is my worry, though. I know, but, but what I'm saying is when my children are walking the street and when my nine-year-old niece comes home and says, Uncle, I don't want to be a Muslim anymore because 
at my school playground, they're calling me a terrorist just because I'm Muslim. I am worried, and you should be worried too, when we see 50 people being killed because they're religion, because they're praying in a mosque, they're not doing anything else. We should all be worried and collectively... Yes, no, I agree. But I don't think I don't think the answer to that, Ajmal, is to make more laws which will alienate more people. Uh, and there are plenty of stupid people in this world, unfortunately, and there are plenty of idiots who will prey upon minorities because they think they can, because they're bullies, because they're nasty, because they're violent, and because they're ghastly. But I think the problem we have uh, is that we may alienate even more people if it makes it... Uh, uh, if, if, if it looks like Islam is being made a special case. I think you need to define and come up with an alternative in, instead of just rant against the one that has been proposed. Most practical thing would be, let's sit down and come up with an alternative definition and propose it to the people. If Muslim community by far say, you know what, we feel comfortable with that definition, let's go with it. There's no reason why we couldn't do that. Currently, my, my friend, this is the only definition that has brought together the largest number of Muslims who are saying, you know what, it is amazing. The largest number of political parties are saying yes. Of course, there will be criticism. The ultimate aim is the same. We want to create free speech. We want to create, uh, keep our liberty and freedom alive in this country. But we also want to protect individuals, minorities and majorities. And we want to move away from the hate crime that we see proliferating our world. And the only way we can do this is by getting to know one another, by building relationships. And the best way to get to know one another and get, build relationships is to have common definition, common aspiration, a bit more love for each other. That's fine, and it's a very nice aspiration to have, but unfortunately the world isn't like that. We don't live in a fairy tale castle, and there are lots of people who hate other people, so we have to manage that at the same time. What is wrong uh, with the, que the current definition, uh, as I asked you before, Ajmal, uh, that you don't like? What is the current definition which is not acceptable? Tell me what is the current definition. Well, I don't know. That's why I'm asking you. I'm, I can tell you what this, this particular definition wants to become. I can tell you what it is that is being proposed, which is the one I read out earlier, which is this. Islamophobia is rooted in racism and is a type of racism that targets expressions of Muslimness or perceived Muslimness. Now, that's the new definition that we want to adopt, apparently. So what's the one that we currently have, is, I'm ask, is what I'm asking you? We don't have one. That's the problem. We don't have one that has been accepted, adopted, or discussed in a debate like this one is being. So this is a good step. So that the fact that we have started the conversation, the fact that we've got a definition on the table, that means we can begin that honest discussion with one another, have that transparent conversation. The old one doesn't exist as far as I'm concerned. I haven't heard it. I'm 47. I've been around. I've, I've experienced racism and Islamophobia growing up in this country. I have fought it back. Now I feel there is something I can start discussing with. You said this world is not a fairy tale world. It's not a perfect it's world. Not. We know it is. But we know we have a duty and a responsibility, my friend. We have to create one. We have to do everything possible. And that change begins with you and me. That change begins on my neighborhood and on, under my watch. I'm not going to allow people to say, oh, it's not a perfect world, so I'm not going to do anything. We've got to do something. The problem is good people like you and me are not doing enough. And bad people are doing too much to cause the trouble in the world. So it's about time we good people came together and we created a definition. And I'm telling you, this one is the best one at the moment. And we are willing to work with this. And if there is an alternative, I think Muslim community is willing to work with. But what we're not willing to work with and tolerate is brushing it aside, making Islamophobia fashionable or acceptable or allowed around our a dinner table as a banter, as a joke, that is not acceptable. But making things illegal 
is also something which leads to trouble, I think, in a lot of ways, when you don't need to do that. For example, I mean, lots of people look to the Middle East and see where all the conflict is between Qatar and Saudi Arabia, between Iran and Iraq, between Iran and Israel, between Israel and uh, Jordan, and all of that, right? And they see Shia Muslims fighting um, uh, with, with another type of Muslim, and you say to them, well, you know, what exactly is the problem here? Because presumably, if one Muslim group fights against another Muslim group, that can't be Islamophobia. So the definition really doesn't matter, does it? It does. It could be Islamophobia when Saudi Arabian government, who is a despot, who has been installed and gifted the, that country by us, by the British uh, colonial past, and we sustain them by, by providing them arms and intelligence, when they discriminate their own people, when they lock up their own Muslims, it could be more than an Islamophobic uh, behavior. When majority of the Muslim countries at the moment, as we see, are run by dictators and despots that we still do business with disgracefully, could also be seen as Islamophobia. So it is a good starting point to create democracy around the world, to rid the world from these... Well, maybe that's where we should start, Ajmal. Yeah, I agree. I agree. You know what? We should start with by rewriting our foreign policy. We should write by... We actually should start Hang on. It's not our fault that the Saudis are a dictatorship. It's not our fault that Iran, that Iran is a dictatorship. It's not our fault that almost every Muslim country is run by dictators. 80% of those Muslim countries were created by Britain, my friend, and then they were installed... Oh, so it's all our those, fault. Uh, you see, this is part I of the problem. No, look, I'm British too. I'm saying we, in our colonial past, created, carved up the world willy-nilly, whimsically because of our interest. We killed more than 100 million people in South America. We killed millions of people in Africa because we wanted their richness and their prosperity in our land. That's wrong. What we have to do, my friend, is undo that damage. And if I was you, I'd go one step back. I would recreate a better world and not uh, carve up the world in the way we have done it arbitrarily. But, but we, we can't, can't go back in time either, Ajmal. Yeah. So, so we, far, we, we you know, we don't live in a fairy tale world and we can't go back in time. What else you got? So we have got a real world in which we live, in which we have to come up with agreements, definitions, civilized conversations by which we can change the world. We need to promote more democracy, more freedom, more discussion, more togetherness and more understanding. And through But why don't we start going to Iran and getting them to be more democratic? Why don't we go to Saudi Arabia? Because you may say that we carved up those kingdoms and we created those countries, but we did not tell them to go around beheading people. We did not tell them to subjugate women and we did not tell them to do many of the things that they do in their foreign policy. Correct. But we supplied them weapons. We supplied them the arms and the intelligence by which they stay in power. Did you know Saudi Arabia is the biggest importer of uh, 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 weapons from our country in the world at the moment? If we stop supplying them weapons and intelligence, tomorrow the Saudi family will fall. No, they wouldn't. They just get it from Arabia. somewhere else. No, well, how would they go somewhere else? Well, there's they plenty of places to buy weapons, as well. What? There's plenty of places they can get weapons from. That, that's the problem. If we keep on saying that, so if we don't sell it, the French will sell. Yeah, if we they will. If don't sell, Russians, Russians will sell. They will. That's not the world we can. That's not the world we should live in. I know. I it's, like well, there's lots of things that the world should be, but the world is not like that, Ajmal. That's the problem. Listen, it's been a pleasure talking to you, and I appreciate your thoughts. I appreciate your time. We've got to run. We're going to take some calls on it. I beg you to listen and see what other people have to say as well. Ajmal Masroor, an imam and broadcaster. Fascinating guy. You know, he's got some great ideas, but we don't live in that world, do we? 0344 499 1000. Do we really need a special official definition of Islamophobia? This is Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.
So it came as no great surprise just before this show started at 10 o'clock this morning uh, the Jeremy Kyle show was officially uh, cancelled by ITV they'd already suspended it indefinitely the other day uh, and nobody I think in the media world or in any other world thought uh, that it was coming back. Let's talk to Emma Bullymore now though uh, from the TV Times and also the series linked podcast. Emma uh, very good morning to you, welcome. Morning. I'm sure that you were as unsurprised uh, by this particular manoeuvre uh, as I was this morning, but um, there are many questions to be asked about it, really, aren't there? Yeah, I, I mean, I'm not necessarily surprised it's acts, but, acts, but I am surprised it's quite so swift. Mm. You know, usually they wait for their review and they go through it all. And this has been treated very differently to the Love Island story that we were talking about not that long ago. You know, yes. Mike Tanacetis, former Love Island contestant, took his own life. It, the, the time frame was much longer, but it was asking the same kind of questions. You know, what is ITV's duty of care? Do they take it seriously enough? Do they understand their responsibilities? And I think the thing is, we're hearing a lot of voices who don't like the show anyway, who've never liked the show, have always said it's exploitative, and are saying, you know, look, we told you that something like this was going to happen. Yeah. But the fact remains, like it or not, that the show does have a really loyal audience. So for ITV, although they've obviously, their hand has been forced, but they're going to have to try and find something to get that kind of... Uh, those kind of ratings and that time slot, you know, it, like it or loathe it, it is a very popular show. Yeah, and I assume it also makes them quite a large amount of money as well. And, and while that shouldn't necessarily be the main focus here, it's, make, it's going to make a big hole in their uh, revenue stream, isn't it? Well, yeah, I mean, ITV is a commercial broadcaster. Yeah. They don't put shows on just because they like them. They right. put them on because they attract advertisers and therefore get money. So, yeah, that that is going to be a big consideration. Interestingly, ITV has said... This show is Axe, but they will continue to work with Jeremy Kyle himself. Yeah. So it wouldn't surprise me if he just comes back in just a very slightly different format. Yeah. I mean, I did say to, to somebody yesterday that, you know, if they have to be a bit careful about how they handle it, because at the end of the day, as much as the world is blaming Jeremy Kyle um, and, and the newspaper world particularly is really focusing in on him as an individual, you know, there was a, a production staff, there was a production crew, uh, there are, uh, you know, executives involved. ITV, until this week, have never said anything about the fact that the Jeremy Kyle show might be part it's sell by date or might indeed be something they should look at in this day and age because it may have you know got past the point of of, w of what is acceptable and so if they did fire him he would have quite rightly uh the the the, the re a reason to go to a lawyer and say well hang on a second you know you never said any of this to me before now that's it i mean everyone's outraged this week but what were they saying last week or the week before yeah. when exactly the same kind of style of program was going out and everyone was saying you know jeremy come on a saturday night takeaway and be a guest of Anton deck you know yeah. he's been treated as a, a big star at itv and now suddenly everything has turned yeah. and you know it's it's not you can say that you don't like his style or that he's overly aggressive on the show or that he's patronizing but it's never one person's fault that someone takes their own life you know mental health is and and these kind of things are so complex of you know, it's unfair to just lay this at his door, but for sure, the the swell of public opinion has not been good for him, and he's been lying low. And I think the other point that lots of people have been making in the last few days as well, some of them to me, about, well, these were vulnerable people, he was taking advantage of them, they knew uh, what they were getting into, but perhaps they didn't quite have an understanding of the, the you know, the, the, the wealth of, of problems that they might get as a result of appearing on a television show, because fame is something that nobody can really handle and all of that. But you could make that argument almost about every single reality show that involves people who are members of the public, not celebrities, like, for example, Love Island, like, I suppose, what was big a big brother you know um, even Britain's Got Talent you know people are voluntarily putting themselves up for whatever it is whether it's ridicule whether it's fame fortune you know they're doing it willingly and it's going to be very difficult for TV companies is it not in the future to try and, and, and sort of vet them to such an extent that they guarantee that they're all going to be fine 
Absolutely. And, you know, where does it end? If you look at Love Island, that happened about a year after he was on the show. You know, does a a member of ITV, uh, sort of the mental health team, have to be with contestants every day for the rest of their lives? You know, how does it work? Mm. Look at something like Britain's Got Talent, which on the surface isn't as exploitative, but then they have people who go on an audition and they're not very good. We all know they're not very good, but the producer has put them on there anyway. And then a whole theatre laughs at them. You you see this in all sorts of places in in our TV schedules. It's just that some of them are built is, oh, that's, you know, dirty, horrible entertainment like Jeremy Kyle and some is big family extravaganza like Britain's Got Talent. So, you know, it's actually a really broad issue when you start looking at it. It really is. And so, I mean, what do you think the future holds now? Because presumably if you are the producer or a production company involved in reality TV of any kind, this is a massive kind of wake-up call um, at the very least, isn't it? Well, I mean, I think it's going to make the whole thing much more bureaucratic from an insider production point of view. You know, there's going to be lots and lots of very stringent rules that will have to be followed both before and after. ITV cannot risk this happening again. But I wouldn't say it's the end of reality TV. You know, it might sort of switch up the format a bit. We've gone away from, you know, there was a period where we had Benefit Street and all this kind of shows that were, were dubbed as poverty porn. We've moved away from that a bit. But I think Seeing real people on TV, having the chance to go on TV yourself, perhaps, will always be interesting and in some ways seductive to people. I don't think that's ever going to change. Mm, no, quite. But, I mean, there are going to be unfortunate uh, sort of constraints now put on the creative process, if you like. And, I mean, I suppose I may have a bias here because I work in, in the radio business. But, you know, the, the, the more management gets involved, the worse it gets, generally, in my experience. Yeah, and also, I mean, we are always talking now about how many people have been affected by mental health issues. If you had a period of depression when you're at university, does that mean that at no point in your life can you ever be on a TV program right. in case you're affected? You know, where does it stop? It's, yeah. it's all so personal and so uh, different depending on who, who you're talking to. It, I think that it's a minefield to try and to try and work this out and have some kind of one-size-fits-all strategy. And also, the world has become now, has it not, a kind of Twitter in reality? You know, because this kind of thing used to happen on Twitter all the time where somebody would get sort of flamed for about 24 hours, 48 hours, maybe 72 hours about how how something terrible they'd either said or they'd done or something like that. And then it would all go away. But we now I mean, reality seems to be now operating in the same way, doesn't it? Yeah, it's interesting because... That, that that's one of the the main sort of pitfalls of these kind of shows. But in the case of Jeremy Kyle, this is that episode was never broadcast, and he was never going to be famous from it. So yeah. it's more about what happened to him on that particular episode and how that affected his relationship and his life. So, and there's no accounting for for that to some degree. You know, I also agree that Jeremy Kyle is an exploitative show, and there are problems with it. But I I don't know. I'd be interested to see the review on this as to how much is the show's fault. And how much is it? I think it's just such a tricky, tricky case to, to call and to understand. Well, it really is. And also, there were an awful lot of shows and an awful lot of people went through the process of appearing on those shows. And, I mean, I have no idea what the numbers are, but I would guarantee you that the majority of them um, did that uh, and were happy with what happened. Yeah, and, you know, people go on there to receive, you know, I'm not trying to paint it as a saintly show, but addicts received help. People who wanted lie detector results, some of those had a positive impact on people's lives. Some people sit there and take Jeremy's advice and say that's going to change their life. So for all the people that, you know, it might have negatively impacted, there are people that go on there and feel that they've got something out of it, feel mm. that Jeremy's helped them in some way. No, exactly right. Emma, thanks very much indeed. Emma Bullymore, TV Times and Series Linked podcast. Um, talks about television an awful lot. 
Um, we are talking about television this morning because this is quite uh, a major kind of sea change for reality television. The Jeremy Carl show is no more. Uh, ITV says uh, it is no longer going to be uh, making that particular programme. Jeremy Carl uh, will be reinvented in some other guise. He will continue to work with ITV. Uh, but has he been badly treated, in your view? 0344 499 1000 is the number. This is uh, Talk Radio. More blasted rhetoric from the Banana Republic for people who think capital punishment isn't going nearly far enough. <laughs> the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. This is the Independent Republican Mike Graham, 03444991000. Steve says on Twitter, at Talk Radio, uh, pseudo-outrage is the most popular thing in some parts of the media and social media these days. It's just a shame so many people take it as gospel. Let's go to the phones, because uh, a lot of you want to get on, a lot of you will get on. Alan, first of all, is in Birmingham. Hello, Alan. Hi, Mike. How are you doing? Got it. What do you want to tell us? No, I'm got it that Jeremy Carl's been axed. Are you? Why? Yeah. Because I had a routine every morning. I would get up around 9.20, I would get my clothes on, get some breakfast, put ITV on, and have an hour of unbridled comedy with Jamie Cole. I mean, I don't want to watch David Dickerson talking about antiques. <laughs> well, I mean, unfortunately, you won't be able to do that anymore. You just have to listen to my show on talk radio instead. I mean... We'll try and keep you amused if we can, Alan, but thanks very much indeed. Alan's outraged. He doesn't get to watch Jeremy Kyle anymore. And there'll be a lot of people like that because it was a big watch and a big audience uh, for that particular slot. Hughes in Rygate. Hello, Hugh. Hi, Mike. How you doing? Very well, sir. What would you like to say? Well, I, th- I think this um, reality TV thing is really interesting because the, the only reason there is so much of it and shows like The Car Show exist is to keep people watch it uh, and advertisers pay to put their products in the middle of the programme. Yeah. 
Um, so clearly the only reason ITV would, would cancel it is because they've had uh, concern expressed by the people that, uh, you know, that pay for those adverts. Yes. Um, well, I mean, yeah. people are saying things like, um, well, just because it's popular doesn't mean it's good, uh, well, but bizarrely. But, that. I mean, I'm... they've always said things like that, haven't they? Well, I was saying to Cornelius on the phone when I rang up, first of all, I mean, you know, there was a time when Page 3 girls sold newspapers. Mm. Um, you know, these things have a, a shelf life and public opinion changes. But, Do you think uh, that's where we are with the Jeremy Carl show, then? Well, I suspect so, because this, we're, we're, we've, we've become very good at moral outrage, haven't we? Yes, um, but when was the last time you heard somebody saying, oh, Jeremy Carl, that's a bit sort of 1990, shouldn't we take it off the air? No, never. I mean, no, but Nobody did. But that's the disconnect between um, the people and the people that run things, if you ask me. Yes. I mean, I hate to mention the Brexit word, but, I mean, it's the same thing as that's going on in politics now. Mm. People watch things like The X Factor, as you mentioned earlier, and Strictly, and, and they like the sort of faux drama of the, the contestants and all that sort of thing. You know, I mean, Strictly may not be controversial, but it always seems to have a love triangle somewhere in the mm. middle of an episode to, yes. to get people to watch it. And, you know, we're being played and manipulated by what is actually for the broadcasters fairly cheap TV. Well, that's right. And they know, you know, it's not like they don't know what they're doing. You know, this is why I think that I'm glad to see that they're going to keep Jeremy Kyle on and give him some other show because it would be very unfortunate and unfair, I think, on him surrounded as he is by executives and, and board members of ITV and the mm. production staff and producers and all of that. And he's the one that takes the fall. Oh, well, look, there'll be a lot of people at ITV today cursing the fact that it's been cancelled. Yeah, of course. You know, but, you know, Quite a lot of advertisers as well, I would imagine. Well, yes, but I mean, I can't believe in a commercial world that um, ITV wouldn't have checked with, I don't, know, the ch- I don't know whether the show has a sponsor or not, because I don't watch it. I mean, I, I have watched it occasionally. I mean, I, funnily enough, I have it on, uh, or I did have it on in the studio here, because we've got a few TV screens, and one's on ITV. So I've, I've watched Jeremy Carl in silence, without any sound, mm. probably for about a year and a half. <laughs> I don't know whether that's had any effect on me. <laughs> so far. So far, none, no, but you're right. Hugh, thanks very much indeed for your call. Let's talk to Marilyn, uh, who's in Watford. Hello, Marilyn. Hello, how are you? I'm very well, Marilyn. What do you want to say? One of the things I... Uh, for me, I think it's a bigger conversation. Mm. It's always sad when someone takes their own life, and I yeah. say that from my, my own perspective as someone who contemplated suicide really? very okay. seriously, right. and then a few years later worked as a Samaritan's volunteer answering the phone, seeing visitors, and for the past 18 years, coaching people mm. in this space. Okay. And for me, suicide is such a big issue, and there's often more than one touch point. It's rarely the last thing you did yeah. that is the thing that makes you do it, because when I contemplated it, it was because a partner had an affair and got someone pregnant, yada, yada, yada. Yeah. So if I had taken my life then, my partner probably would have felt really guilty. Yeah. But actually, it was probably because... I was sexually abused as a child when I was seven, do you know what I mean? Mm. So just looking at the last thing that happened can be quite a narrow view. And what I would always hope when these, when suicide comes into the wider conversation, yeah. I really hope that it sparks a discussion about the stigma that it still exists within mental health, particularly as far as men are concerned. Yeah. Well, certainly, I mean, there are many aspects to this story, and I'm not going to trivialise what happened at all, and certainly not going to trivialise the effect that Jeremy Carl's show may have had uh, on the, the, the man who took his own life. But he was uh, a man who suffered from depression. He went to his GP with arthritis, and he was given morphine. Now, I mean, I don't know what the efficacy is of that kind of thing, but it seems to me that if you've got a risk assessment and you do it on a patient who may or may not be at risk of of suicide, you don't give them morphine, do you? 
Well, I'm not a medical practitioner, not a doctor, um, and my, because my line of work is people often come to see me when uh, the, the traditional things have not worked, yeah. and that even down to taking antidepressants, and they'll come to see me to find a more natural way to do that. And I have to say that in the last 18 years I've been in practice, all of my clients are still happy and healthy and alive and thriving. Good for you. <laughs> so I know there's another way to be. Yeah. Um, but for me, I just I really, really, really hope that it... Because, you know, I started this year with going to the funeral of a Facebook contact of mine who was, if, I, if, if you thought of somebody who was the most motivational, happy person you could think of, mm. it would have been that man. And we were all sat at his funeral in January this really? year. Yeah. So for me, I, mean, I really hope it opens up a conversation where people talk about how they're feeling sure. and seek help. No, I think you're absolutely right. But I suppose if you were to be pragmatic about it, Marilyn, which you obviously are very pragmatic about many things, if uh, the, the shutting down of the Jeremy Carl show prevents this from happening ever again, because it's not uh, that kind of exploitative TV, which is very helpful to people, then probably that's a good thing anyway, perhaps? I don't know. Will it really shut down? I mean, how many TV channels have we got now? I would say probably 500. Several dozen, yeah. Certainly. On my TV. Yeah. Um, and people have mentioned it already this morning about the Love Island thing, yeah. where two contestants within the space of 12 months have committed suicide. Again, you can't just make a direct correlation between Love Island and they commit suicide. Right. However, I don't, you know, there probably is some relationship there in terms of what it throws you into mm. and how it opens up your life to the public and everyone has an opinion. Um, so I don't know it's necessarily... A, because the way I would see this, you know when they talk about don't put the cart before the horse and all that sort of stuff? Yeah. Jeremy Carr was the last touch point you know, potentially for this person. Yeah. But there would have been a lot of things happening in that person's life before they ended up on that show. Sure. So taking the show off is almost like pulling up the grass, pulling up the weeds, but not actually addressing what's at the root. No, exactly. And by his own admission, I think he went on the show hoping that it was going to solve the problems that he had. And clearly that didn't happen. But Marilyn, very thoughtful of you to call. Thank you so much for telling us uh, about your personal story as well. Uh, here's uh, a text from Terry, who's texted into 87222. One thing you do not seem to be reporting is that the fiancé of the man that committed suicide after appearing on the Jeremy Carl show has publicly said that the aftercare he received after appearing on the show was excellent and outstanding. I haven't seen that, Terry, uh, but if you say that's what's being reported, then I'll take your word for it. Let's talk to Paddy, uh, who's in Suffolk. Hello, Paddy. Hi, am I? How are you doing? I'm very well, mate. Good. Uh, the sunny day. Beautiful day. Uh, I've never liked that show. Not ever. No. Well, uh, lots of people didn't like it. Lots of people did. Well, I think what we've seen with this death is the tip of the iceberg. Mm. I would say quite a high proportion of the people who go on that show feel worse about themselves. Afterwards. Afterwards. Yeah. And a high proportion of the people who watch the show feel a lot better about themselves. That's mm. probably why they watch it. Possibly so. Maybe that's why they do it, because they feel more superior to the people who are on it. Also, I mean, let's not forget, many of the people who did go on the show, and you can say that they were vulnerable, taken advantage of, whatever, were presumably paid to do so. So that some of them did it for the money. Yes, but generally, the, I hate to say it, the sort of low IQ people, the sort of Waynetta and Waynetta slobs of the world... Well, that's uh, general, uh, that would be a generalisation that most course, people would probably yeah. agree with, I guess. Yes, but why is people surprised that uh, someone is dead now? Because other shows, like the, the uh, Jerry Springer show, mm. people have committed murder after that well, show. Well, I mean, this is why the whole idea of reality television, I think, is now being questioned, Paddy, because you'd have to say there are other shows 
that would have to operate differently now than they have done up until this moment. Even things like Britain's Got Talent and The X Factor and the early stages of those shows where they have people who are not very good at what they do, but they get put on the stage and filmed because it's funny. Yes, and um, even though going away back those sort of candid camera shows mm. where they uh, throw someone's car into the... the um, well, they don't really throw the car into the canal. Mm. They get a mock-up of the car. Yes. And in. So those people that, that they, they used to do all these pranks to, yeah. um, they've had to suffer exactly... Uh, what they would have suffered. Well, public humiliation. Yeah, I mean, public humiliation is not something that a lot of people can handle. It's true. Paddy, thanks for your call. More gun talk from a water pistol from the farmer of fury. The independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. The Independent Republican Mike Graham, 0344-499-1000 is the number. You know what to do. Uh, you can tweet us, of course, at Talk Radio. Steve has done just that. He says, my ex-partner and I frequently had sex prior to a meal, but I will admit it was awkward as the store management refused to close the checkout while we were at it. Yeah, very funny, Steve. That's ridiculous. Obviously, just a joke tweet. Don't send me any of those. That's not the kind of tweet I'm looking for. But thank you very much indeed. Instead of that, we're going to talk about something far more sensible and, in fact, in some ways, slightly worrying. Greg Smy Rumsby has joined us. He's, of course, from astronomynow.com. NASA put out a story yesterday saying that basically the moon is shrinking uh, and shaking as it does so, uh, and it's going to end up shriveled up like a raisin. Which is a little bit worrying, particularly for Jeff Bezos, who wants us all to go and live there. Uh, Greg, a very good uh, after, a very good morning to you, I should say. Yeah, good morning. Absolutely. What is what is going on? I mean, why on earth is the moon suddenly shrinking? Uh, well, all planets shrink, actually, including the Earth. We're all losing heat. We but it's not a planet, though. A... I thought it was just a bit of rock. Oh, it is a bit of rock, but of course it's uh, it's got a lot of internal heating, uh-huh. and uh, there are signs on the surface whereby the skin or the crust of the moon is bigger than its interior, so it sort of forms cliffs as it continues oh, right. to shrink. It's been shrinking ever since its creation, so it's it's not a new thing. It's just that our ability to detect it is become has become much more sophisticated. All right. So, is it a sort of hollow husk then? Is that what you're talking about? No, not at all. It's just that it has a lot of internal heat, and when you heat things up, they expand, and when you cool things down, they they contract. And that is effectively what is happening uh, with the lunar surface. Okay, and it's been having moon quakes as well, which is interesting. Yes, absolutely. Um, there are instruments uh, uh, on the moon whereby we can sort of measure the moon quakes. We'd like to do that much in a much more sophisticated way, to be perfectly honest. Mm. Uh, but the Chinese have uh, got uh, little rovers on there. It's better to, better not to actually use a rover. It's better to stick something physically on the surface that mm. doesn't move around. Right. That way you're in lovely contact with the lunar surface. And uh, we should be able to detect uh, lunar quakes uh, in the future in a, in a much more sophisticated way. And it'll tell us much more about the cooling aspect of the moon and, and what's going on inside it. So in in the sense of, say, looking at something like the Sea of Tranquility, has that always been there then, or has it just been sort of created over time and, and it may change over time? Well, it is changing over time, but uh, effectively that that large sea, as it is called, of course it's not full of water, no. uh, but this large desert of flat rock is, is buckling up. It is slowly but surely rucking up, like a large having a large carpet in a, in a room that's slightly too small. You, right. you, you would get rucks up in it, and that's exactly what these, uh, these fault lines are. Oh, I see. It's interesting, isn't it? Because Jeff Bezos only last week was talking about going to the moon because, one, it's close, he says, only three days away, and two, because it has water on it. Is it possible? that as it's as it's shrinking and that it doesn't have water 
Uh, no, no. It, uh, the, the, the reason why it has water in the polar regions is because the craters in the polar regions never receive sunlight. Uh, so over the billions of years that the moon has been in existence, it's been slammed by comets. And of course, comets do contain water. And that seems to be the, the detritus that's left over from these impacts, filling up the, the permanently dark craters at the lunar poles. Right. And NASA's working on a, a sort of manned uh, woman's program now as well, because not only do they want to send uh, a man to the moon, but they want to send the first woman. Quite surprising in a way that no woman's been there. Uh, well, it, it, it isn't in a way, because one spacesuit fits all. When you're designing spacesuits and you're trying to keep all the budget down, it's much easier to create one spacesuit for one sex. Mm. Once you've got a, a different spacesuit, there are different things that have to take place. So, in a way, it was a sort of a budgetary constraint. Even it? though it cost billions of dollars to get them to the moon, it's still there were still some budgetary uh, considerations. I mean, I suppose you might say, that I don't know if this is true, but there, there were female astronauts, presumably, at some point or other in the history of NASA, but maybe not around the time of the Apollo space program. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, pretty much. I mean, there were some test pilots who were females, um, and they, they flew aircraft uh, in, in a simulation way uh, for, uh, you know, handling the space shuttle and things like this. Uh, but yes, there are now many, many female astronauts and cosmonauts and taikonauts all, all taking up the rain to get into space. I mean, the very first woman, of course, to, to, to go into uh, space was Valentina Tereshkova. Oh, yes. And that was back in the 60s, mm. you know. But since then, we've had quite a number of women. There are two women on board the International space station at the moment so yes. we've got quite a good complement of them in fact and i'm very pleased about it I and, and do you think this new exploration of the moon is worthwhile i mean of course i know that you're a terribly terribly good and great enthusiast for for all things being done uh, in the uh, in the stratosphere and all of that but is it a, is it the right place to spend the money yeah, I think it is, uh, but it, it has to be done uh, in, in, in sort of res retrospect to other things. It can't be done in isolation. Uh, to say going to the moon is a great thing probably is, is not the right way to talk about it. Mm. I think the moon is partly a stepping stone for other types of exploration, to test out systems, software, crew, and everything else. Yeah. Uh, but the moon is also a very interesting object in its own right. We have a large moon, and to many aspects of the reason why life is on the, on the Earth's especially advanced life, is because we have a very large moon mm. in proportion to the size of the planet Earth. And that stabilizes many of the systems, biological systems on the Earth. Um, and, and, and that's one of the reasons why we're here. Right. So, so going to the moon is, is fundamentally a good idea, but we should make sure we keep things in perspective. And what's interesting for me about some of this information that we're, we're reading about today uh, is that it was collected actually back in the 60s and 70s, wasn't it? Yes, absolutely. Um, we, we, we have uh, several bits of equipment that are on the moon and, and uh, are still working, left behind by the astronauts. But much of the um, evidence of the moon's shrinkage and cooling is, is gathered by instruments that have been left in the past and data was collected then and now being reanalyzed again. In fact, the lunar rocks, uh, some of which have never been handled, never been seen, mm. uh, are kept in, in absolutely pristine conditions. Some of them are now being um, taken out of their, their lovely sort of graveyards, as it were, and, and being being uh, looked at in a much more analytical way, and they'll tell us much more about really? the moon, especially with with new scientific instruments and things like that. Much much better honed mm. to the purpose. I'm sure I've seen a bit of moon rock in the science museum, haven't I? In one of those sort of gem you have, galleries, in a, in a in a plastic pyramid. Yes, <laughs> trapped there forever. Right, but it's kind of cool to look at, though. I mean, I wouldn't mind holding it, I suppose, but I suppose that's not allowed. Uh, no, no. Well, human beings don't, don't tend to touch uh, rock samples gathered from the moon. But no doubt when commercial uh, 
you know, exploration of the moon, uh, will bring back space rocks. Uh, the value of those samples will will probably decrease, apart from their historical value, right. uh, because there'll be many more samples brought brought back to the Earth. Okay. And I always ask you, Greg, when you're on, whether there's anything kind of happening in the next few weeks that we should be looking out for, looking up to the skies for any comets or anything that we can uh, sort of uh, concentrate uh, on. There's going to be a partial lunar eclipse on July the 16th. Okay. Well worth looking at. I personally prefer partial lunar eclipse to total ones because right. the partial phase gives us a, a guide to the shape and size of the Earth because you can see physically the shadow and the curve of mm. the shadow projected onto the lunar disk. Uh, but, of course, in the summer, we have the Perseid meteor shower, which is spectacular, and that's on the evenings of the 12th and 13th of August. So there, there's always lots of things oh, to good. look out for in space. Oh, good. Excellent. Well, well, that's two things to look out for in July and August. Brilliant. Greg, thank you very much indeed. Greg Smy-Rumsby uh, from astronomynow.com uh, on the fact that uh, the moon apparently is shrinking. I don't know whether that's going to be an ongoing process, but we shall see. Keep an eye on it, see if you can notice it's getting any smaller. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio, via DAB, online or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.